Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. Uh, usually once a year, I get into this sermon on bless God, bless others, be the blessing. And so if you're coming to our membership class next week, you're going to kind of hear the same thing that you're hearing this week. So I probably will reduce it a little bit during the, during the meeting. <clears throat> but bless God, bless others, be the blessing is something that God laid on my heart. And, and I'm, I'm trying to remember how it all happened. I think it was during a sermon that this just sort of hit me as I was preaching that this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to bless God first, most, and best. And then we're supposed to bless others and take it to the street and be the blessing. And this is a biblically intensive uh, motto or purpose. And so when we, when we started thinking about and brainstorming e-kids, we don't want to develop what's referred to in ministry. We don't want to develop a silo. And a silo in ministry and business is a part of the business or a part of the ministry that kind of stands alone, and it's walled off from everything else. And that's one thing that we fight very hard against at Emmanuel. Like we have our pantry where the alley parent is leading. That's not walled off from the rest of the church. She's very involved, has people helping her. Um, we have e-kids. We want that to be part of the church, not just something that we shove the kids off to. We want to raise these kids up to know what Emmanuel stands for, what we are, our DNA, and we want them to be excited to be a part of their church and take ownership of their church and investment in their church. And so this is the purpose of eKids, to raise up a generation of believers who love like, live like, and act like Jesus. We want them to be the heart, the mind, the hands, and the feet of Jesus Christ. And you know what? That's the same purpose for Emmanuel Baptist Church. If you look over into 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, this has become my theme verse. It's become the theme verse for our church. So if you're wondering, hey, does Emmanuel have a theme verse? This is your theme verse. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, can I tell you that when I was a young kid, I grew up and my parents were Christians, but we were part of a church and uh, that, that sort of focused on the discipline of God. And God disciplines, he says, he disciplines those whom he loves. Uh, but if you're not careful, you can have an unhealthy focus on the discipline of God, the chastisement of God, where you separate his chastisement from his love. And chastening without love, discipline without love, guys, is not discipline. Discipline without love is not discipline. In fact, discipline and chastening is nothing more than teaching and correcting. That's the whole goal of chastening. Chastening is not punishment. Discipline is not punishment. It's training. And so we miss that boat sometimes, and we think to discipline means to punish. And when you, when you overemphasize that, 
you have a distorted view of who God is. And I used to have this intense fear of the judgment seat of Christ. Now, if you're a believer here this morning, if you know Jesus as your personal Savior, you are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It's called a Bema Seat Judgment. Everyone who is a believer will stand before God, Jesus is God in the flesh, and you will be judged according to your works. Good works are going to amount to precious stones, gold and silver, uh, crowns of righteousness, crowns of life, and, and later on you're going to cast those crowns at the feet of Jesus, uh, and bad works will be burned up, but you yourself will be saved, the Bible says, as though by fire. Uh, so I used to have this intense fear of this judgment. Well, here's the thing about that. The Bible says that we can have boldness in the day of judgment. You don't have to go through this life wondering whether or not when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you don't have to go through this life wondering whether or not you're getting an A or an F. Did you know that? He's giving you the answers to the test. The answer key is here. If you walk on earth in the love of Jesus and you are as he is in this world, you can approach the judgment seat of Christ with boldness, not cockiness and not arrogance, but with confidence. That's what boldness means. I am confident that I live my life in such a way that Jesus is pleased with me. I don't have to wonder if Jesus is pleased with me. He's given me the answers. You follow? So, we want these kids to know the same thing. We don't want these kids growing up thinking it's a mystery as to whether or not, one, they're going to heaven when they die, and two, whether or not they're pleasing God. So first of all, you can know that you have an absolute 100% home in heaven. You can know that with absolute certainty. As a matter of fact, later on in this, in this chapter, the Apostle John says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That's present tense. Not that you will know or might know, but that you can know that you have right now eternal life. And you're like, yeah, but I'm getting old and I'm dying. Well, this body is getting old and this body is dying. But your soul and spirit are going to live on. And if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you turn from your sin and you call out on Jesus to be your personal Savior, the Bible says he gives you at that moment in time, he gives you immediately eternal life. He secures for you a home in heaven and the sins of your life, past, present, and future are forgiven in the high court of heaven. And you are sealed, the Bible says, unto the day of redemption. Number one, you can know you have a home in heaven. The thing that we want these kids to know, we don't want them walking through wondering. If you're here this morning and you're saying, I'm not 100% certain that I have a home in heaven, God doesn't want you to walk through your life with that kind of uncertainty. My friends, that's torture. That's if you actually believe in a heaven and a hell and an afterlife, and you're walking through your life wondering where you're going to go, and you're working so hard, and you're being so good, and you're, you're just hoping that you've done enough to get there. That's mean. And God is not mean. And that's why he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sin in your place so you can have that home in heaven. The second thing he wants us to know is in this verse. 
that when you get there, one, you know you belong, and two, you know God is pleased. So, this verse has been the heart of Emmanuel. It's been the heart of Emmanuel, I think, for at least, well, since its founding, but officially for at least about 10 years, 8 years. It is the heart of this church. I typically preach on this verse once or twice a year to remind us all of what is important. I don't like playing church. If you're here and you've been around me for any length of time, you know that I hate playing church. You know what I mean? Showing up on Sunday and doing my religious obligation and then just leaving and it doesn't affect you the rest of the week. And that's just playing church. I don't want anybody at Emmanuel to just play church. Church is indispensable in your life. It is called the body of Christ. The church is God's plan A for the redemption of the world. We bring the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the four corners of this earth, and there's no other plan. We are it. Right up until the rapture, and then it starts over with a whole bunch of different things. But right now, we are in the church age, we are in the age of grace, and our responsibility is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I want to share a few things as we go through this message this morning. Brian is sharing something very similar over in E-Kids. In the main text, we find this. We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loves us. And so I want us to take a moment this morning to consider the love of God, because this is where it all begins. I've been talking to my wife about this, I think, for now weeks. The love of God is, is the most transformative power on the face of the earth. The love of of God. And then love after that, I would say, is the second most transformative power. Love for others and love for God. But the love of God, God's love for his creation, is where it all starts. It's where it all starts. So look at what Psalm 42, verse 7 and 8 says. Deep calls to deep. I preached this a little while ago. Deep calls to deep at the noise of your waterfalls. Your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Now, if I'm not careful, I fall back into the boogeyman God. You know, when you've lived with the boogeyman God for a long time, it becomes your easy default. In fact, I believe this, that man's default position is legalism. The default position of mankind is legalism, and I... I I can give you several examples of that in the scripture. Number one being Adam and Eve when they cut the fig leaves down and they created for themselves garments to cover their nakedness. What they were doing, that was the very first instance of false religion. It was man trying to fix man. And when they blew it in the Garden of Eden, guess what? There was no fixing yourself. They tried. They tried and they failed. And then God slew animals because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins is what the scripture says. And that's why Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood. 
So God slew animals and covered them in, in, in furs. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One reason is so that Adam and Eve could understand the seriousness of what they had done. It caused death to come upon the human race and a curse to fall upon the world. And so that was the very first instance of legalism. You can go to Tower of Babel. You can go to all these different places where you realize that man just tries to fix man. Man just tries to fix man. That's legalism. God is about grace. So if I'm not careful, I read this from a legalist perspective, and I, and I see that he's, he's overcoming, right? The, the waves are, and billows are going over me. I might miss the, the, the context of this verse, which is talking about the love of God, and think, oh, he's drowning me. God is drowning. He's angry with me. He's drowning me. I've screwed up. But that's the opposite of what this passage means. He's talking about the depth of his love for you. Boy, I wish I could come to each one of you individually and just kind of grab you by the shoulders and tell you Jesus loves you. Like he loves you. Like in a way that no one else in the world ever has loved you. Not your mom, not your dad, not your husband, not your wife, not your kids. No one loves you like God loves you. He says his, his love is coming over you like waves, just billowing over you, washing over you. It's, over, it's supposed to be overwhelming. This is what he's saying. Dude, my love, my love is so immense that you can't even comprehend it. It's so powerful that there's nothing you have done, will do, or continue to do, the failings that you struggle with, that will, well, that will impact my love for you. My love is like a waterfall washing over you, cleansing you, crushing the sin out of you, overwhelming you. When was the last time you were overwhelmed by the love of God? You know, this is one reason why we worship, so that we can be reminded of the incredible love of God. Anyone ever gone swimming in the ocean? Raise your hand. I've been swimming in the ocean. I mean, Hampton a little chilly. How about down at Cocoa Beach? Anybody been to Cocoa Beach? One of the best surf places in the world, I hear, right? Cocoa Beach. Uh, my wife and I went to Cocoa Beach for our anniversary one year. Uh, dude, it's really cool. Uh, the waves are amazing and immense. And if you fall under the wave, you start to get an idea of God's love for you and also like, I'm drowning. And this is, somebody ought to write a song, Drowning in God's Love, because he, he wants, when you're drowning, you're breathing in the water. I mean, it's filling you up, and you are completely in the thrall of the water. There's nothing you can do. So I was thinking, okay, I want to I wanna pull up an image that might kind of give us an idea of the, the massiveness of God's love. And, and hey, hit the lights the lights. This is an amazing waterfall, some redwood trees. And I was just trying to pull up because God uses nature a lot in scripture. And he's talking about a waterfall. So I was just looking at this and I was imagining, could you imagine yourself standing at the very bottom of this waterfall? Has anybody been to Niagara Falls? You can hit the lights. Anybody been to Niagara Falls? Raise your hand. When you, the first time you experienced Niagara Falls, what was your reaction? Oh, this is nice. 
I, I don't know how anyone could approach Niagara Falls and go, oh, that's nice. What a nice little river. And I love mountains. I love nature. I draw, I paint, and, and I used to do landscapes a lot when I was a kid and stuff. And my wife and I went to Niagara Falls. It was on my bucket list, and we went in the winter. They create their own weather system. This is how powerful this waterfall is. Um, if you snow ski, you know that they make snow in New Hampshire, right? They mix um, air and water with some nozzles, and they shoot it out, and they make snow. Niagara Falls makes snow. Like, we're standing there, sky is blue, it's a beautiful day, and it is snowing. Like it's snowing. It, there's so much power coming down off of those falls, stirring the air up, and the crystals come up, and you're just standing there, and the noise of the falls is immense. And as I stand there, I think, this is often the way God describes his voice. And it's the way he describes his love. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. You know, the Bible says that nature testifies of its creator. That right there. When you walk into a place that takes your breath away. Niagara Falls, I drove with Chloe and Brandon Sumner to Colorado last year. During the pandemic, one of the best road trips of my life. It was so fun except for the car and Brandon's driving. But other than that, it was really awesome in Chloe's road rage. But no, besides those things, we drove across the country. And let me tell you, you see things that maybe you've never seen before, and it's amazing. It testifies to not only the creator God, but to his love. I've always wanted to see the Rocky Mountains. And we drive into Colorado Springs, Colorado, and you see those mountains rising up, and it is just the most amazing thing. And it's a testimony to the love of God. He loves you. He loves you. He wants you to be overwhelmed by his love this morning. Have you, who's failed here? Raise your hand. I have failed. Everybody's hand better go up. Because if your hand's not up, you just failed. How many of you have failed more than once? Twice? Three times a lady. Um, how many of you have Sorry, I have ADHD, and I'm on Wellbutrin, and I think I need to, like, triple the dose or something. I'm doing the, the slides back there for the worship song, and I'm, like, singing the song, and I'm, like, ah, oops, click. And then somebody walks up to get something. I'm, like, oh, what? And then I look over at Jay, and I'm, like, oh, click. Got this ADD thing. That's one of my failings. But you fail once, twice, three times, four times, five times, six times, seven times. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction. Maybe you're struggling with a besetting sin. Maybe you're just struggling to be loving and caring, and you just keep failing. And you wonder, is there hope for me? Is there a chance for me? Will I ever be okay? And this is what I want you to know today. God loves you in your, at your worst in your darkest times, he loves you. Believer, he loves you. And this is counterintuitive to those of us that have been raised to believe sort of a legalistic doctrine that God is going to bash me in the head when I mess up. Because we tend to think that shame changes us, but shame just drives us into the darkness and away from the light. And the love of God should do this to you. And for you, it should draw you back from the darkness into the light. 
when you don't understand and you don't comprehend the length, depth, breadth, breadth and height and width of the love of God, you're not coming back to him fast enough. But when you understand it, man, you will run back to Jesus because you know he's going to take you. You understand the love of God? This is something I've been trying to grasp for many years, the love of God. So first of all, Jesus is the expression of the love of God. The cross behind me is the expression of the love of God for his creation. God made a way back to himself by himself. There's no sin so dark that the light of God cannot flood it. There's no failure so great or so numerous that the love of God cannot overwhelm it. And I firmly believe that it's the love of God, the depth of our understanding of it, that makes us into exceptional followers of Christ. If you have a small view of the love of God, you will have a small impact on the world around you. So the love of God is God's blessing. So when we go to the beginning of our motto, bless God, everything in our motto, bless God, bless others, be the blessing, comes from we love him because he first loved us. Everything comes from God. Our ability to love one another and forgive one another Listen, God forgives the unforgivable. I want you to think about that. That one person in your life that you're saying, I could never forgive them. God forgives the unforgivable. He's done it in you, and he does it in the person you hate. And when you begin to understand that kind of love, you are free like you have never been freed before. And that's God's blessing to us. And God's blessing leads to our blessing God. We honor God. We bring joy to the heart of God. Our blessing God is an expression of returning what he has given to us. The overwhelming response to such love is to love and return, to honor God, to bring a smile to his face. And it's the first part of our motto. It's our guiding principle when we engage in ministry, uh, when we engage in missions, and we often ask this question, will this bless God? So when we're doing e-kids and we're creating this program, the question is, how can we bless God with this? Will what we have designed for Sunday mornings bring a smile to the face of Jesus? They help us to stay on point. They help us to stay away from methods that don't please God. You know what I'm saying. We're going to have a men's conference. We want to get a bunch of men here. So the best way to do that is get a stripper pole up on a stage. That'll draw a big crowd. Is that a good method, do you think? Now, somebody's going to cut that soundbite out. And they're going to say, Emmanuel has fallen so far, they're bringing strippers to church to draw a man in. We're not doing that. That's an example of what not to do, because if we want to bless God and bring honor to God and glory to God and joy to his heart and a smile to his face, the last thing we're going to do is put a stripper pole on the stage to draw men in for a conference, because most men struggle with that sin. Right? So it guides our methods. Right? So you follow, you follow what I'm saying? It helps us stay away from some questionable things. It guides what we do, why we do it. 
the missionaries that we take on, they help us to please God. Strategically, we consider this first part of our motto to be our worship and our honor to the Lord. It's Bless God means this is our worship service on Sunday morning. It's when we have nights of worship. It's when we have special events and draw you in, when we have the Lord's Supper. and It is, it is our act of worship of God. It's the act of giving. So this also, not only is it our motto, it's also our strategy. Bless God is our tithes and our offerings. It's our financial um, ministry of the church that uh, Brother Anstey leads. It's, it's all of that where we give back to God, where we worship Him in song, we worship Him in service, we worship Him financially. We bless God. It includes our property. It includes Cindy Davis and leading our cleaning ministry and and Donna coming in and all the different people that work in the cleaning ministry to make sure the building is presentable uh, and clean and, and lovely for when people come in to worship the Lord. It's Brett Reeder and his team taking care of the grounds. It's doing anything out of a worship for God. And, 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 and I was like, I want to bring up, now nah, this isn't Jesus, I know it. But I think too many people have this angry Jesus in their mind, and it's like, we want to make God smile. You know, Jesus loved kids. That's not just a stupid nursery rhyme. Jesus loves little children. I hate that song almost as much as Jesus loves me, this I know. I love the lyrics, hate the tune. It's like nails on a chalkboard, might as well put a drill in my ear, go all the way to the brain, let my eyes pop out. I can't stand the tunes to those songs. Love the message. But when we say Jesus loves the little children, guys, it's real. One of the three times Jesus sharply rebuked his disciples was when they tried to keep kids away from Jesus. Think about that for a second. Jesus was not in the business of riding roughshod over his church. And if you're in a church today, you're online watching, and you're in a church today and the pastor and the leaders are treating you roughly, you might want to find another church. That's not to say the pastor can't reprove you and rebuke you. That's what the Bible says. Sometimes we rebuke sharply. But if that is the nature and character of the church you're in, that's not okay. Three times he sharply rebuked his church. Three times in three years. So maybe once a year we can do it. Here's a great way we're teaching the kids this. How can I figure out if I'm pleasing the Lord and how I walk? Ask the question, is what I'm doing bringing a smile to God's face? Does this bring us, and not the smile, you've heard me say this, some of you are new, so you haven't heard it yet, but not the smile that you smile at your children when the break they are. You know, the smile that you're doing, you're like, oh, what an idiot. We don't want to bring that smile to Jesus' face. We want to bring a genuine smile to the face of the Lord. We want to please him. We want to honor him. We want to make much of Jesus. And one thing as I was preparing this slide that, that made me uncomfortable using this slide. How many of you guys are a little uncomfortable when that popped up? Anybody? Was it just me preparing? Somebody was. Yeah. And this is why I was uncomfortable. It's just a human actor. I'm like, it's just a human actor representing Jesus. And, and I know some of you are like, well, he has long hair. And he did, I believe, have a Nazarite vow. So you're, but you're looking at it, and, and he's ordinary. And it's just a human. And then as I was considering it, I was like, well... Yes, that's the point of Jesus. 
He became one of us to save us. And so that we could relate to God in a personal way. Up until Jesus, it was Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where Moses received the tablets of the law. Up until Jesus, it was don't touch that mountain or you will surely die. When Jesus came, it went from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion where the cross of Christ poured out the blood of Christ and the grace of God fell upon mankind. And so the humanity of Jesus is important. I was like uncomfortable with this, but I'm like, well, that's the point. That's the whole point. No wonder that you or some of us, you were with me, you're a little uncomfortable with this, a few of you. It's no wonder the Jews hated Jesus. This can't be. He's just an ordinary guy. He's claiming to be one with God. That makes no sense. We're following a man. Church, if you haven't figured it out yet, you're following a man who said he was God. The only difference is between that and David Koresh or any of these other cult figures is that Jesus is God. It's a big difference, but he was God in the flesh. He was a man who lived 2,000 years ago and literally walked on the dusty streets of Jerusalem and Nazareth and Bethel. And when his disciples followed him, they were following this figure that a lot of people looked at and said, who is that? Why are you following him? And many of them, when they met them, they said, oh, I see. He's the love of God personified. Well, that's bless God. Blessing others. Blessing others. When we, when we make this statement, it is to encourage ministry to one another. The Bible is filled with this expression, love one another. Do good to one another. It's, a, it's filled with these expressions of the one another's, and it's the church ministry. And we talk about bless others. Bless God, bless others. Bless others is our brotherhood. It is the church ministry, okay? We are the heart, mind, hands, and feet of Jesus, and this is where we love others as Jesus loves us and gave his life for us. If we are not loving one another well within the church, we will not love those outside of our walls well. And matter of fact, if we're not loving one another well inside the church, those outside of the church, they will see the hypocrisy dripping off of us when we try to love them, but you hate your brother. So when we say, bless God, bless others, it's where we learn from John 13 that God said, love one another as I have loved you. And church, I'm not going to harp on this here very much, but I'm going to say this. If you have odd against each other, you're holding a grudge with each other, are you loving your brother or sister as Jesus loves them? Because you're supposed to be Jesus to your brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't mean that you're climbing up on a cross and dying for them. You're not deific. You're not God in the flesh. But you are the living, breathing representation of Jesus to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And when they offend you and they hurt you and you hold a grudge, you are not being like Christ. 
And I know that hurts because I, I obviously as a pastor, you have no idea, but there are weeks <laughs> where it's just like, really? Just, uh, I'm done. Because it hurts when people cut you down, lie to you, misrepresent your views. But then you have to remember this. Well, I am a representation of Jesus to my brothers in Christ, and that means I might, I might need to confront them. Confrontation is not a dirty word. Matthew 18. I might need to say, hey, you hurt my feelings. You sinned against me. You said this. It was not true. Or, hey, do we have a misunderstanding here? And most of the time I find where there's odd in the church, there's not really sin against a brother or sister. There's a misunderstanding between brother and sister. Other times where people think there's ought in the church, there's not. The person hasn't done ought against you. He hasn't harmed you. He might have sinned. And you know he's sinning. And so you have decided to be offended by his sin, even though it's not against you. And that makes you a hypocritical, judgmental person. Because it ain't your business. If he's not sinning against you, love covers a multitude of sins. Now, that's not to say we let sin run rampant in the church. We challenge each other to grow. We encourage each other to follow Jesus. We lift each other up. But we are not in the business of condemning. Matter of fact, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to bring life to the world. And so, bless others is church ministry to each other. Bless others is our Bible life circle ministry. That's what bless others is. Bless others is when we have a help a buddy ministry where someone needs help at their house and they don't have the expertise and they don't have the finances to, to maybe fix their boiler or, or, or maybe fix their sink or something's going on and, and they're really struggling. Uh, we got a group of people that are like, hey, we, we want to help with that. And I can't tell you how many times our church brothers and sisters have risen up showing up at somebody's house and just been a blessing to them. We bless others within the church bodies where we love ourselves well. And then I want to take you to 1 John 4. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must, 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 also love his brother. Now I see the next slide and I know what's on it. And I, the ADD is just like rushing to the forefront. Like my, my, we are family, right? Folks, we are family. Those of you that are considering joining Emmanuel, you're, you're joining a family. You're not just joining an organization. You're joining a family. That's what a church is. My wife and I were at a wedding yesterday. I always am so honored when someone asks me to officiate a wedding, and we stayed at the reception, had a great time, and we were able to fellowship with some people that have been coming to our church for a long time, and, and um, just sharing our story, our struggle that we've had over the last year or so. And she wanted to, this woman, she sincerely wanted to know, and, and as I was talking to her, I said, you know, I don't know where I would be without my family. I have an awesome family, immediate family, my brother, Randy, Tracy, my sister, Lita, my mom and my dad. I have a great extended family, my in-laws. I love my in-laws, most of them, all of them. 
And, but beyond that, you got it. You. This is going back to when I was a kid in this church. It goes all the way back to when my daughter Kirsten was born and almost died. It goes back to the day that Pam, right? Remember the choir came to the ACN nursery at Elliott Hospital when Kirsten was born? Saturday night, like 25 people came tromping through the uh, uh, maternity ward at Elliott Hospital. I remember the nurses going, who are these people? And it's like, this is my family. Church is family. You know, a family fights sometimes. Me and Randy could tell you some stories. I remember he grabbed me by the throat-ish. And he picked me up off my feet and he slammed me up against the wall and he was looking up at me. And my brothers got arms like this and I'm just like, I guess I finally did it. I threw a snowball and I hit him in the head, which in itself is a miracle because I was not an athlete. The problem was it was also ice. So hit him in the head and he tore off after me and I'm faster than him, but somehow he caught me. And he slammed me up against the wall. And listen, we're still family. He's my brother. But he's like, I'm, I'm going to kill you. And he's shaking. You know, I'm going to kill you. And then he's like, he's like this because Randy's this short little guy. And he's like, I'm looking up at my big brother. This is ridiculous. And then, praise God, he started laughing. And I was saved. Sometimes family fights. But there's one thing. You better not say anything bad about me to my brother Randy. Because we're family, and he'll kill you. He's a United States Marine. He's not all there. He broke a guy's ribs at the place where he used to work, where he works, actually. He still works there. I guess they thought that he was more valuable than the guy that he hurt. The guy had it coming. I'm just saying, but because he's my brother, what am I going to say? You almost killed me. I'm not going to say anything bad. Folks, we're family. When you join a manual, you join a family, it doesn't mean that we talk to each other all the time. My big brother is somebody I admire my big brother. I look up to my big brother, and he's lied to all of you, and he's told you he's my little brother. He is, the, he is my older brother by two and a half years. I look up to him. I love him. We don't talk every day. But when we get together, it's as if we'd never been apart. Folks, sometimes we have unhealthy expectations of what family looks like. Family is when I get with you, it's like there was never a time I wasn't with you. I have people in this church right now, what we've gone through in our family, there's people I haven't talked to a lot. I mean, Pam, like, we're not like hanging out every week, but I come up and I see her and, and when she hugs me. And, and in that moment, we've been together all our lives. It does, there's no separation I'm not going to say she's like another mother. She's like a big sister. Big sister. When Kirsten had her first bout with psychosis and she broke down and she had a severe mental breakdown and she had bloodied her face up and, and we were in a, a massive crisis at my house in the morning, I, I came over to church, could barely see straight. And the first person I saw was Mark Lamonte. How many times have we been out to dinner? Once? I don't know. But I saw Mark, and we're family. When I, do you remember that? I, I literally just fell. I just collapsed to my knees because I saw someone who was safe.
And Mark was like, <gasps> what's, what's happening? And he helped me up. And he held me there. And we're family. That's what a church is. Your expectations need to be adjusted. If you think a church means that people are calling you every day and we're just hanging out. Church is deeper than that, guys. It's deeper than that. It's love for one another in this place. It's Ron Anstey walking up to me during Kirsten's second bout with psychosis and having taken several classes on crisis counseling. He approaches me and says, Pastor, we're not going to tell you what to do, but you need to take a sabbatical. You are on the edge of a breakdown. And I've talked to the other guys, and we are here for you, and we will support you, and we will take care of the church. You go take care of your family. Folks, that's family. That's, that was a confrontation, too. I'm sure there's times where Ron has talked to me. There have been a few times where he's confronted me and said, hey, buddy, you need to stop talking so much about your, your wife and kids because they're getting irritated. And I'm like, what? Come on. They don't mind. And then I find out he was right. Family. As he is, so are we in this, in this world. And once you have your understanding of God's love for you settled, and that, by the way, is going to grow through your whole life. And then you begin to love God back, bless God. And then you realize that we're brothers and sisters. And so you love each other like you love your blood brother and sister. This is family. You begin to bless others. You come to church and you take your blinders off and you actually look at people. And if you see someone that's hurting, you approach them and say, hey, anything I can do, I love you. I want to be there for you, right? Now we are equipped to take it to the streets to be the heart, mind, hands, and feet of Jesus outside of these four walls, we be the blessing. We take all that we have in Christ, all that we're learning, to the world and to our community. This is our Giving Hands food pantry. This is our, our, our connection with the Lighthouse Ministry. It's outreach events like Trunk or Treat. It's caring for our neighbors. And it's sharing our faith and inviting others to share it with us. And there's people like, do you have a, a door-knocking ministry? Do you have an outreach ministry? I'm going to be honest with you. We have some events. But our outreach ministry, let me tell you something. In the early church, you didn't have bus ministries. You didn't have all these things. You had people who were saved by grace, who went and told other people that they could be saved by grace. And you had missionaries that would go into a town and they would go to a synagogue and they would preach in the synagogue and then they would meet with people by the river and share the gospel with them, lead them to Christ and build a church. Our outreach ministry at Emmanuel, are you ready for it? Is you. You are our outreach ministry. You are our number one outreach ministry. There's no amount of door knocking. There's no amount of hanging uh, door hangers on doors. There's no amount of direct mail invitations to church. None of that compares to one-on-one -on -one you in somebody else's life being the blessing. You are the outreach ministry of Jesus. And I think, honestly, I'm going to say it. 
a, a lot of these things are almost cop-outs. Because you don't want to challenge the whole church to rise up. And so what you get in these churches is 10 people on fire for Jesus, inviting other people to church. And the rest of the church says, good job, good job. He did a good job. And here's the reality. It's a failure. All of us, all of us are the outreach ministry of the church. All of us have the responsibility to be the blessing to the world. And that comes in different ways. But the number one blessing that I've ever received is Jesus. So if I want to give a blessing to somebody, the greatest blessing I can give them is not a $20 bill, but it might be a $20 bill with an invitation to church and a sharing of the gospel. And when I say a $20 bill, it's not like, hey, I'll give you 20 bucks if you come to church. It's like somebody comes into the church parking lot and says, I need gas. Somebody comes in the church parking lot and says, I need a bus ticket. One day, my son Nate and I jumped in the car, drove a guy down to the bus station, gave him money for the bus. It's being the blessing, a tangible blessing and sharing the gospel of Jesus. Or, or if you're not at that place, inviting someone to come to church with you. If, you. if you're not at that place, leaving a gospel invitation. We have invitation cards all throughout the lobby. Grabbing one and leaving it at a bank or a restaurant for a waitress. You are the outreach ministry of the church. And when we do our outreach events, like our Christmas events, trunk or treat events, uh, we have our Be the Blessing block party or cookout that's coming up in July. Those are just kickstart events to get you doing what you're supposed to be doing all year long. Be the blessing. Well, have you been blessed? As the worship team comes forward, I know I've gone a little bit long this morning. I blame that on Brian. Um, do you know Jesus personally? Have you been, folks, have you, have you been blessed? Have you been blessed? Have you been blessed? Hey, all thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.